Hello everyone, how are we all doing? My name is Kyle Andrews and welcome to episode 12 of the Mental Wellballing Podcast, a podcast in which football's ongoing battle to address its difficulty in maintaining the mental health and well-being of all those involved in the professional game is explored. In this week's episode, we're provided with a reminder that those impacted by the pressures of professional football are not just those who play the game. Alistair Frush, a physio with Arsenal and Charlton Athletic on his CV, talks about both how his profession needs an understanding of the mental well-being of those they work with, and the strain that the role itself places on their own mental health. Alistair was Head of Medical Services at Charlton Athletic before departing the club last year, and had to perform his role with a small team, a lack of resources, and a pressure to ensure players returned quickly from injury at a time where it seemed a new phase was entering the treatment room every day. We'll be discussing the need to consider the mental when managing the physical, how the same injury may be treated very differently based on an understanding of the individual's minds, how the demands placed on physios to get players back to fitness as quickly as possible creates a risk v reward scenario, the circumstances that created the injury crisis at Charlton Athletic last season and the pressures that placed on himself, the players, the management and the club as a whole, and the strain on those in Alistair's profession throughout the coronavirus pandemic. Alistair provides some really fascinating insights overall reaffirming that footballers are human beings who cannot be expected to operate like emotionless machines, and that the pressures those in his role are under are just as intense as anyone else's in the professional game. Their mental well-being is highly likely to be challenged by the demands that are placed on them. Let's have a listen. I'm really pleased to be joined by my guest, Alistair Frush. Alistair, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, Carl. I'm really pleased to have you on. It's always nice to get a, a different perspective. Um, this podcast doesn't just look at the footballers, it looks at the people in professional football. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear from the mind of a physio. Um, but just to begin with, I want to get a little bit of background about yourself. Uh, so just want to explain who you are, uh, what you do, how you got into that role and what your interest in, in sport comes from. Yeah, so I've been a physiotherapist now for, for nearly 20 years. Initially, I trained as a sports science degree. Uh, and it was the, towards the end of that degree when I, I kind of started to think about what am I going to do with this? And, you know, 20 years ago, sports science was really in its infancy, you know, and wasn't a huge amount of work out there in the jobs sector. And one of my lecturers at the university at the time was a physiotherapist. And so they um, sort of persuaded me and, and, and pushed me to go down the route of, of studying to, to, to gain my qualifications in physio. So, so that's what I did. And I've always had an interest, of course, in, in sport. Um, I played as, you know, sport as a youngster, mostly rugby and swimming were my two main sports, but um, always, had, always had a real passion for sport. And so I've sp- spent the last 10 years uh, as a physio in professional football, which I've been, you know, really lucky to have, to have had some really great times uh, previously, you know, Arsenal Football Club and then obviously latterly with Charlton uh, as, as the head of medical there at, at Charlton Athletic. Um, I'm back with Arsenal now at, at the moment, just helping them out with some consultancy. So, um, you know, it's a really nice way to sort of be involved at the very high end of, of elite sport. A way, a way of getting in about actually, about actually being any good at football. Exactly that. Yeah, I've got two <laughs> left. I've got two left feet, unfortunately. Yeah, my dad played a little bit of football, uh, sort of semi-professional, but uh, I think he would close his eyes when he saw me out in the back garden. So. <laughs> I always picked the ball up and threw it. So that's why I was into, into the rugby. Uh, before we go any further, uh, I'd like to ask this question uh, before I go deep into the interview. Uh, I think it's nice having the background as we go through, just so people have got a general idea of what your thoughts are. So I'd just like you to, to think about what the phrase mental health means to you. Yeah, it's a, 
That's a really big one, isn't it? Um, you know, because I don't think there's any set definition for this for this phrase. Or and, and you know, for me, it's about how you're feeling about yourself. You know, you know whether that's how you're feeling about your work, about your relationship, about worries in your life, and and it's about how that then affects our feelings. Uh, and, and, and our sort of actions and behaviours. But I actually thought that Tom Lockyer described it really well uh, in, in the last podcast when he said it's kind of what you think about when, you, when you're trying to get off to sleep, you know, mm. and it's that side of you that others actually don't see. You know, it, it, it's all those things that you're thinking about that the other people in your life, be it your partner, your family, your friends, for the most part, don't see, you know. And, 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 and I think a lot of people... In, in this country, naturally, naturally, we're quite stoic, and 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 so we tend to put our, you know, a brave face on things, and and we put our guard up, and and we don't let people know our true feelings, and but I think that's improving, and that's now the 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 whole, you know, idea of of, of us talking more about it and having podcasts like this is so that there is a, a, a greater awareness and a greater acceptance that that you know the the, the topic of mental health is not one to be you know, brushed away or brushed aside and, and, and or to be embarrassed about. Um, I still think the word mental is an, an interesting one. Obviously, it's a, you know, mental is an adjective to do with the mind. Um, but of course, I, I still think it has a lot of connotations with crazy. You know, people said, oh, we had a mental night out last night, you know, meaning we had a crazy night out or, you know, oh, that game was mental. You know, so I still think the, 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 the use of the word mental in mental health still kind of has this sort of feeling that someone's crazy when in fact it's not. And that's where I think these other phrases now, well-being, uh, mindfulness, they're perhaps maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, better terms, I think, to, to allow people to, to, to open up a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, I'm really key on making sure this is mental health and well-being um, because I think when you do put what I, what I definitely explicitly don't say is say mental illness this isn't about mental illness this is about talking yeah. about mental health mental well-being um, but you're right in the minute you say mental there is the, the connotations with with what the negative associations and the the things that make people sort of coil up and, and not be as open as they they might be if you're just going to ask the question how are you rather than how is your mental health um, so I think you're right in saying that, that there are still uh, a little bit, there's a bit of a barrier there, just in in terms of the way the words are used and the, the associations the words have. Um, but also, sure. yeah, you're right in saying like what 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 Tom Lockyer said that it, it are sort of the things that you think about when you're not living in the moment, really, when you've just got time to yourself and you're thinking about things that might otherwise be eclipsed when you're when you're living. Basically, I think that's an interesting uh, yeah. way of, of of thinking about things. So moving that on into how you might apply your, your thoughts on mental health into the, the role that you do. Uh, so obviously as a physio, your main target is to improve performance, to improve people's physical condition, to aid in their recovery. But can you be, really be successful in that role if you don't have some consideration towards their mental health? No, I mean, I think the two are uh, inextricably linked. Um, you know, I think as, as, as physios, we, we'll often see the player... At, at, at sometimes their lowest point, you know, when they've sustained injury, uh, that that's a huge blow for for, for that player. Uh, and therefore, if we weren't to consider the the impacts, you know, on, on their mental state, then we wouldn't be really doing our job fully 
you know, as, as a physiotherapist looking after their overall health. Of course, you know, everyone uh, knows us as, as treating the physical sides of, 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 of their injury, you know, and you, can, and you can see that obviously quite clearly if a player's on crutches or they've got their arm in a cast or a sling, it, it's pretty obvious. But, but, but of course, the, 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 you know, the, the, the mental side of it and, and, the, and the process uh, and troubles that, that, that they have as well whilst, they're be, whilst they are injured is, is such an important part. And, you know, the anxiety that they might have with regards to that injury. Um, you know, perhaps that injury has come at a time where they're in their last year of their contract and, and therefore they're worried about will they get another contract? Will this affect their career? You know, there's lots and lots of considerations that, that we have to take as a, as a sort of medical department, you know, when, and, and factoring those in to, as, as part of their rehabilitation programme. So it seems clear then that the, the psychological has got almost as much significance in what you do as the, as the, as the physical. I think it absolutely has. And, and I think it's getting more and more, you know, that our role has probably, you know, widened a little bit from just, um, you know, treating the physical injury to actually treating both the physical injury and, and you know, the psychological effects of that injury on, on the player, uh, you know, and, 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 and their, you know, significant others. I, mean, I guess the challenge with that in mind then is you've got to find a balance between dedicating time to the person's physical well-being and the person's psychological well-being. Um, are there times where you might have to, because I think you're, you're it goes without saying that your your main goal is to ensure that a player goes for a, a speedy and a successful recovery. Um, but might there be times where, in order to achieve that, you have to compromise on their on their mental well being? Is that a dilemma that's sometimes weighed up? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think if you don't get that right, if you don't get their head in the right space, then you're not going to be able to have the the outputs you know, on, on the physical side that you're looking for in, in, in the rehabilitation. Um, you know, for example, I think, you know, the hardest ones, of course, I think are the, well, two things. I think the hardest ones are either the big injuries that they, where the player knows they're going to be out for a, a, a long time or the few cases where perhaps an injury has recurred or it's happened again for whatever reason. You know, and, 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 and for those in particular that sustain long injuries, you know, one of the things we factor into their recovery program and rehabilitation is actually do they need a bit of time away from the club away from the training ground environment because it can be quite uh, you know an environment where they're seeing the same four walls all the time they're hearing the same voice in the gym you know they're constantly being reminded uh, about the injury because everybody naturally will ask them how is your knee how's your how's your foot how's your ankle you know and every day being constantly reminded you know, can, can, can play on them. And so sometimes it's important and, and, uh, to, to actually get that player away from that kind of stressful environment of, of, of the football club for a little while to clear their heads and, and then to come back and, uh, and work with us. And you see that a lot with the professionals at the top level in the premiership. You'll quite often see pictures of them on their social media sites. They might be out in Dubai, you know, or the Aspatar Centre in Doha, over in America perhaps, you know, working on the rehabilitation. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people might think that that's them on a bit of a, uh, you know, a holiday and, 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 and living the life. But actually, it's about them, you know, trying to clear their heads a little bit and just get into a space where they can dedicate the, the time and the, the resources necessary, you know, to help get them back physically from, from that injury. 
and, just, and, and we, we used to do that a fair bit with, the, with, with players that were on long-term rehab, obviously resources dependent. Um, but, but I think that's a huge importance, you know, and not to be underestimated in, in you know, how difficult it is sometimes for, for injured players to, to come into that training ground every day when everyone else, all your other mates are going out and playing and, and you're having to make that journey into the physio room every day. That, that's really tough. Yeah, I mean, there's many things there, but I think the main thing is the fact that if you get into that routine and, like you said, going to the training ground, seeing your teammates play, going in and doing the same work over and over again, as much as it is a process you need to go through to aid the recovery, mentally that's just going to drag you, drag you down. And the, 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 the ultimate outcome is the recovery is going to be, the physical recovery that is, is going to be slower because you're not going to be in the right frame of mind to dedicate yourself totally to it. So I, I can definitely see that you're in a very difficult position in your role of finding the right balance between ensuring that they are committing as much energy and focus to the, the, the physical recovery, but at the same time, ensuring that they're not being put in an environment where there's too much pressure on them, too much stress on them, and draining the soul out of them by putting too much focus onto the physical recovery. I mean, a great example we had was uh, with Jake Forsakaski when, when he unfortunately did his ACL. And it was a real bitter blow for Jake because that pre-season, he, 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 was, he was working so hard and he was looking so good, so fit. You know, and, and, and then the day before the first game of the season, we were away at, uh, uh, up at Sunderland. The, the day before, he unfortunately, you know, ruptures his, his, his cruciate ligament in the knee in training completely innocuous, uh, no one around him. And, and, you know, that's a massive, massive blow to him. So we realised that he needed probably some time away. And so, you know, Jake and ourselves, we organised that for one day a week, he would go to a different centre, uh, a little bit closer to, to his family, where he would rehab with them for, for a day a week. And, and it worked really, really well. Um, we were able to get, you know, keep in touch with them, let them know what we're doing, but it allowed Jake, the, the, the sort of freedom to, to go and explore somewhere else, have a, have a different physio working with them, have a different, you know, four walls and, and, and working with other individuals as well that are going through rehabilitation, whether they be, you know, amateurs or from different sports. I think it's really important to sometimes go outside that bubble of football that we sometimes get stuck in to actually see that there's other people out there who are also struggling with injury and you know, or coming back from major injuries in other sports and they can help push each other on and, 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 and that worked really well. And, and it would definitely be something I would consider again, uh, you know, for, for a player. I guess in those situations too, another consideration you have is understanding that the, the, you know, the individual player's mind, understanding that each one of them is different and each one of them, even if the injury is exactly the same, they might react differently. Um, to a, a certain treatment method or um, the, the, the structures that you put in place. Um, so how important then is it that you've got um, a bit of individual connection, a bit of trust with the people that you're working with? That, that, that is really important. And, and again, another case. So exactly the same injury, if you like, Billy Clark's ACL, you know, the season before, you know, Billy was so focused on his rehabilitation. He, he'd been through it before on the other side, before he came to Charlton that he knew exactly what he wanted to do. So actually he was quite fine coming in, you know, working at the training ground, getting through the, the work that was required every day, as opposed to where Jake perhaps just needed that little bit of space away uh, to help him go through that. But yet both were successful in their kind of returns, uh, but taking slightly different paths to get there. So, so yeah, we definitely have to try and tailor 
each of, the, of our rehabilitation programs based on the factors of, 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 of that player themselves and what their needs are, you know, both physically, but also, yeah, having a, a strong um, influence on, on, on what they're like from a, from a mental and psychology point of view. Do you think then, given that you are dedicating some time to understanding the, the, the individual needs of the players that you're working with, that you are in a way working with them on a one-to-one basis, that as much as anyone else within the football club, you've got, or the physio has got the greater time to con- consider the mental health and the mental well-being of, of the players, whereas other people in the backroom staff might not have that time because they'd need to sacrifice it for the good of, good of the collective. Um, so do you think that that because you're working on a one-to-one basis, you can put more focus on the mental well-being? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely in a privileged position, uh, you know, with the medical department. That we do get to spend real quality time with, with players, both when they're injured, but also, with, you know, when they're not injured as well. There's a lot of time spent with them, uh, you know, and we get to know them very well. And, and, and we understand what makes them tick and, 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 and how, they're, how they're operating. I, I think, you know, other backroom staff would have time as well, but I just don't think it's often at the, the forefront of their, their thought. I think it comes more naturally to us in the medical team because we have that more holistic view of their health and understand an understanding that, that health is not just the physical impairment, but also, you know, the, the psychological impact. But, but you know, but I think other members of the backroom team also have a, a huge part to, to play in that. And, you know, for example, the manager would, might, you know, phone players up regularly who are injured just to keep that conversation going, just to make them, whereas other, other managers actually, you know, have the viewpoint that, well, you know, that player's no use to me, he's injured. Therefore, you know, the manager doesn't speak to them. And, and you think, oh, that's, that's tough, you know, that's quite hard. You know, when a player's injured, the one thing that they want is to feel wanted if you like by the club and wanted by the by the manager and uh, and and so how you know the how the rest of the backroom staff you know behave and manage that is, is critical for, for for how that individual's feeling about their injury and feeling about themselves and that neatly leads quite nicely into my next question which is that a lot of what the players have told me when i was going to them is that they would like to have support if it's available to them. They would like to access their support. They do want to talk about their mental well-being, but the issue that they have is that they are the the fear that being open and it that being seen as a weakness is still there. That they're worried that if they explain express how they feel, that they show that maybe their mental health isn't perfect, then it will affect their chances of selection, it'll affect their career and all the the long-ranging things thereafter. Um, and what they want is confidential support but it being within the club you're in a as a physio you're in quite an interesting position where you're not directly involved in team selection but what you do has an influence on team selection in that you're making sure the player is ready for it you've got to liaise with the manager and say look this player is ready for selection this player is not um so if a player was to inform you about a mental health problem maybe one that Let's, even if it is just one directly related to the, the injury, but if it went beyond that as well, well, one that they felt they could uh, confide in you a, a, a different area about themselves. Do you feel you've got a duty then to report that to the manager, or is it something that you would you would keep to yourself, even though maybe part of your job role sort of says that you should be disclosing these things? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a really tough one that because I say as a, as a therapist, you know, we do have. Uh, a duty to the to the to the client or the patient 
therapist confidentiality, if you like. However, at a, at a professional sports club, as a professional football club, when the, when the player signs, uh, they do sign a, a waiver to say that they're happy for us to discuss their medical needs with, with the management at the football club, because obviously that, 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 that is key. And, and then what it, what it requires then is an understanding from the management that what we're dealing with uh, is just as important as a physical ailment if they're struggling mentally. You know, as I say, it's, it, the analogy I sometimes use is it's so obvious to see a player, you know, with a on a, on a pair of crutches or his leg in plaster that the manager wouldn't think twice if you said that the, 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 the player can't play this weekend. Whereas if you went to the manager and said, well, actually, I think this player is struggling a little bit because of X, Y, and Z mentally, that, that's a little bit harder, of course, for the, for the manager to kind of understand that and, and perceive that. But that's where I think, you know, awareness is now growing and, and education, you know, is now growing for, for the managers. You know, mindfulness and, and, and psychology support is, is now uh, linked, you know, carefully into the coaching badges. For, for management and so I think there is this greater understanding of, 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 of the part that it plays but you know as to whether we would escalate a problem all the way up to the to the management I think that would depend you know very much on on the case um, but if we felt that it was having a detrimental effect on that individual and, and was potentially putting that individual at risk uh, by, by, by putting them back into the squad then then we would have a duty of, of, of care to to, to raise that up the chain to, to the management and kind of on a similar note then I guess if uh, a player came to you with an issue that you felt was beyond your remit that you thought you didn't weren't able to assist him with you'd, you'd go and guide him towards direct psychological support if that was what you felt might be beneficial to him yeah absolutely and, and, and again you know we, we would have a network of, of different professionals at our disposal again resource dependent uh, that, that we could utilise you know, as and when. I remember when I first joined Charlton, you know, four years ago, and we went on a pre-season tour to Austria. Uh, and at that time, one of my first uh, assignments, if you like, obviously the the club was undergoing a lot of change. New manager, you know, that one of the players, you know, really required some some psychological support. And so myself and the doc, who had, who was also just new into position, you know, had to suddenly, uh, you know, find find the right links but we did it was important for that player uh we recognized that the player left the tour and and came home for that support and and, and it was the right choice and it was the right thing to do uh, i guess then in in the time that you've been working as a, as a physio you can see there's been a a big shift in in the way that mental health is perceived particularly in in football i think so i think and and uh, yeah i say not just in football but i think in, in sport in general um, and, and I think one, you know, football, but perhaps is is a little bit later to the game. I think some of the other sports maybe uh, it, it's come about a little bit uh, quicker. I think rugby's been good in talking about mental health issues. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, media attention with cricket and and some of the psychological uh, elements of that, where they're away for a long period of time from family, you know, and and, and there's been a lot written. Uh, about that so I think football is just playing catch up a little bit uh, you know with that again because of this sort of feeling of, of bravado and, and that, 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 that you know they don't want to talk about it because they don't think you know it's 
it's the right thing to do or they think it might negatively affect them in terms of career aspirations. So, but now it is becoming commonplace, more commonplace. I think clubs are, are putting resources into to the, to the mental well-being of, of their players, not, but players and staff as well. Clubs now in, in, in the premiership will, will be employing sort of well-being coaches specifically designed and, and with a remit of, of looking after the, you know, the, 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 the mindfulness, if you like, of the, of the players and the backroom staff. And, and I think that's really, really important. And I think you'll see more of that, uh, you know, as, as, as the years go on. Something I was going to touch on was that sometimes it feels like the 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 well-being of the, the backroom staff in the discussions about football and mental health isn't always considered. Um, there is a very sort of explicit focus on just the players' mental well-being. Sometimes maybe the managers and the coaches, but generally speaking, it's just on on the players and their mental health. But obviously, your the role you're in, the role that physios are in, the role other medical backroom staff members are in, it, it's a high-intensity, high-pressure role. Would you like to be involved in those discussions about? mental health in football do you think that you that your profession's got a role to play in that in terms of um contributing to the conversation and contributing to um the things that that change the way football perceives things and and the measures that governing bodies might put in place you think that backroom staff should have a bigger voice in that yeah i think so because at the the end of the day we're all one team and and, and we're all cogs in in the in the same wheel if you like trying to achieve success but the very nature of elite sport is that it's a high pressure environment you know you don't enter into it unless you're willing to accept that you know there's going to be you know difficult conversations at times there's going to be pressure at times that you know there's going to be times where you know losses you know come and and that pressure just builds and and builds and and of course it's you know I think football uh, in my experience is, is a very reactive industry it's very reactionary to to what's just happened, you know, the previous game or, or the previous week, you know, and and then, and then they find something else and it it kind of moves on. And, and but only you know again now we're starting to find that that actually we're building, you know, for more longer term planning, you know, and and um, and I think that's really really important because I say. This, for us as physios working in elite sport, this is our profession. This is what we've sort of chosen to do. But it is a, a really tough environment. You're, you know, away from home a lot, traveling. Uh, you're at the, the beck and call, of course, of the club and the, and the players. So you're often working six, seven days a week. For, and, the, and, the, and the football season is relentless. You know, it, it, it's game, 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 game. And, 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 you know, for us, again, in the medical department, it, 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 you know, we're often the ones, that, of course, that when the days off come, we may still have to go in because, a, you know, a player's been injured or, or even in the off-season, you know, there's always players to be, to be rehabbed, you know, even in the off-season. So, so when all the coaches and backroom staff sort of wave goodbye after the last game in the season and we'll see you back in six weeks, then, you know, <laughs> the poor old medical staff, uh, you know, have to, have to come back to the next day and, and we're straight into the rehab again if, we, if we've got injured players to rehab so it's a, it's a tough gig did you realize that was what that was what you were signing up for when you started get, when you get going yeah, <laughs> I, say, but my, I, I came in with my eyes open but the problem is of course is that uh you know going from from bigger clubs uh where i started at say at arsenal you know you've got more staff to spread the workload whereas actually when you come down 
to the to the lower leagues because of budget constraints, etc. You don't have that same number of staff, and therefore you can't spread the workload as much. And 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 so you know there's this sort of feeling that you know if a, if a player is injured, then he then he has to be in all the time. And and, and if the players in the injured players in, well of course the medical staff have to be in. So so yeah, it, it can be a really tough gig. So I think yeah, greater consideration for you know the backroom staffs. So obviously, as you sort of referenced there, it is a really high pressure environment that you're in. Um, where, do, where do you find that that pressure mostly comes from? Is it from players and coaches demanding things of you? Or is it simply just that the nature of football is a high pressure environment? And, you know, as, as you kind of referenced there, you've signed up for these demands and you've got to, you've got to meet them and, and go above and beyond to, to be the best asset that you can be to the football club. Yeah, I think a bit of both. I think naturally as, as, as practitioners in a high performance environment, we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. You know, we understand uh, the nature of the industry and that this is an asset of the club that, that all the while that that person remains in the treatment room, they are no good to, to, to the football club. And so there is a, we, we place great pressure on ourselves in order to turn the injury round uh, as quick and safely as we can. But yeah, pressure comes from the, the player themselves, of course, um, you know, the one thing you always find with players is that immediately they get injured. They will go and speak to their friend at this club or their friend at that club who's had the similar injury or that injury. And, and you know, and, and they got back in this number of weeks. So why are you telling me it's this number of weeks? And, and of course, you know, the, 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 big, the big thing here that I always tell people is that, you know, the human body is not an exact science. You know, how one person responds to treatment and, and responds to injury is never going to be exactly the same as, as another person. And, and obviously we will use experience, we'll use diagnostic information, scans, uh, and everything we can to come up with a, uh, you know, what we believe to be a realistic time scale for their return. But of course, at times, you know, it, it, we, it doesn't happen like that. And sometimes the, the, the injury might take a, a little bit longer. You know, the, the human body is not a machine. It, you know, I wish it was as easy that we could just take a take a piece out and, and put another piece back in. But unfortunately, I say it, it, it's not that simple and it's not that simple to just be able to compare one injury with, with a similar injury, even though it might be the same hamstring and it, it might be graded the same even on the MRI. But it still doesn't mean that, that, that those two injuries are going to come back at exactly the same time. There's so many different factors at play you know, when we're, when we're dealing with injury and injury rehabilitation, that, that, that it, that it mean, means that, you know, our job is, is, is can be quite complex. And, and of course, you know, the first question we'll get asked by the manager, you know, after a player is sustained, but well, how long is he going to be out for? And of course, again, that can be a really difficult question to, to, to answer and, and you're sort of nailing your colours to the mast at times and, 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 you know, you'll be had up if that player isn't back within the timescales that you you uh, you first laid out so there, there's a lot of pressure of course from from both ourselves as the clinician pressure from the management and of course the players themselves they don't want to be injured you know they want to be back out there as quick as they can so so yeah it's a combination have you found then at any point um specifically thinking about the pressure that maybe a, a manager might put you under that you've had to sacrifice your sort of maybe your your logical and medical thinking um because the managers put you under pressure to force a player back as quickly as possible. You maybe had to cut some corners or 
sort of just to meet those deadlines you've you've worked in a way that you might not have done with say a, a, a normal member of the public without those deadlines to meet um or maybe thinking that enough where you've had to put more pressure on the players to get fit in order to meet the demands that the, the manager has set have any of those any of those situations come up for you yeah of course and, and it happens a lot and and you know in our in our job as as clinicians in in elite sport in it, it's about risk versus reward and at all times it's about what risk are you comfortable with and, and what risks are the management comfortable with knowing what the benefits are but also knowing what the issues might be if it were to go wrong and 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 this is where it's important to have those conversations and be open uh with those conversations we would meet you know daily with the management to discuss players you know rehab and and, and the squad as a whole you know and 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 all aspects of you know elite sport it's about balancing the risk versus reward so yes there might be times when um you know a player you know, is, is an influential player to us. Perhaps we haven't got cover in that position and, and therefore to actually try and get that player back, we're, we're under more pressure. And so we might decide that actually, okay, it's it's worth the risk. We know that this is right. We, we've, we've passed this, we've passed that, but maybe they haven't trained back with the team for as long as we'd have liked them to have trained. But, you know, but we can, we can work through our protocols for return and, and tick those boxes but maybe it's just one or two last ones that that we have to take the risk that that, that they've not been covered now i say most of the time those risks come off and 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 no one is any the wiser of course there are times when when the risks don't come off and and you know there's maybe a re-injury or whatever and we have to accept that that, that that's the danger that we we have to accept and, and as long as all parties are involved in those conversations and of course that includes the player as well we would include the player in those conversations. There's no point putting a player back in if they're not comfortable with, with the risk. Uh, but if all parties are, are accepting of those risks, um, then of course we, we, we can, we can move forward. I was going to say, I suppose that in those situations, that is the point where having that relationship and that understanding with a player is, is most important because you're doing something that is a gamble and the player, you don't, the, the player's not fully on board with it. It's, it's not going to happen. So I think in those situations is where developing a trust and bonds and ensuring that you've got an understanding of that player's mind is probably at, at its most important. Yeah, and, and I say, having that element of trust is, is, is vital. And of, and of course, you know, if, if something does go wrong, then, then of course, you know, that, 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 that trust that's been built up suffers a, suffers a bit of a dent and, 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 and you have to start again a little bit. And, and, and of course, that, that could be really tough, tough on the player tough on us as the clinicians and, and, and tough on the, on the management, of course. And, and it never looks great. And, and so we want to try and avoid that at all costs. So, you know, we don't want to take risks, you know, where risks are, are not necessary. And, and I'd far rather, you know, see, you know, potentially youngsters get, get given opportunities in, in teams, you know, where they've got a chance, you know, when a player's out injured, then try and rush, uh, you, you know, a, a key member back just because, you know, we feel that we're missing that that, that one individual. But, uh, but you see it at the very, very top level. You see it all the time, up and down, uh, you know, even at the, 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 the highest teams in the premiership with the, we, you know, with the, you know, the biggest backroom staff and, and the best medical teams. You know, you'll see this happening all the time because that is the inherent nature of, of, of elite sport. There will be risks taken at times. I think what's very clear is it isn't just a case of, 
going through a routine and fixing a player and getting them back out there again. There's so many other considerations to, to put into place, not least their own mental well-being and not least the pressure in the nature of football that affects your decision-making. Of course. Something else I did want, wanted to touch on. Um, not sure how open you'll be about this, but I want to talk about it anyway. Um, last season, while you were at Charlton, there was a period where there was a lot of injuries. And any day if you went on social media, there would be criticism of the medical staff because there were that number of that number of injuries um are things like that the the outside pressures fans that that with all due respect don't know what's going on they don't understand the the the, they don't have the medical understanding that you do um they don't see what's going on at the training ground but because they've put two and two together and seen that there's this number of injuries so this must be wrong with the medical staff um are those sort of things something that gets you? I'd be lying if it, if it didn't affect you. Of course, it affected me and, and, and affected the rest of my staff, uh, you know, when those injuries are piling up. Um, but as I've said, you know, sustaining injuries has multifactorial cause to them. Uh, you're looking at, uh, you know, all eyes on Liverpool at the minute with the, with the, with the amount of injuries that they're stacking up. Yet, yet I don't hear anybody saying that the, the, the medical team at, at Liverpool are, are no good. Um, of course, they're not. And and what you'll find is that medical teams up and down the country, at football teams, uh, you know, all levels are very similar. We all go and use the same consultants. We all kind of use the same ideas. We share research. We share papers. And and I always say to to people that ask me, you know, why have you got so many injuries? We we don't go around kicking them and injuring them. It, you know, it's not us as the physios that that that, that do that. And of course, it's our job to to get them better. Now, yes, you know, in, in the latter years, you know, our role as physios has broadened somewhat to not just treating the injuries, but also trying to prevent the injuries from happening. And, and that's a massive part of the preparation now is how can we actually prevent injuries from, from occurring? But one of the biggest factors, in, in my opinion, is actually the recruitment. Uh, of, of, of the players and of course the club were going through a really really difficult time in the last two seasons where budgets were being cut uh, we were losing players right left and centre so every year the manager had to start with I mean I, I lost count of the number of medicals I'd be doing every every window you know I'd be doing 12 13 medicals so so each window that we had we'd, ha we'd have another 12 or you know or so players come into our programme and it takes time for players to adjust into any training program. You know, coaches' philosophies will differ from coach to coach. The intensity at which they like to work at will differ from coach to coach. It's not to say that anybody's wrong or right with that, but it takes time for players to adjust. And again, you'll remember when uh, Pochettino first went in uh, to, to, to Tottenham, some of the some of the issues they had with injuries because of the, the, the intense nature he wanted to, you know, again, clop up at Liverpool, again, similar thing. But then those players started to get used to the demands. And, and, and that's when in, in, in the next season and the season beyond, it all started to come to fruition. Well, we didn't have that luxury at Charlton because the next season, those players were gone and we'd have another 12 in. And, and you know, those players often came with, you know, significant factors uh, be that previous injury or long periods uh, away from the game where perhaps they hadn't been playing regularly. And these are all massive factors that, that, that compound 
compounded the, the, the problem. So, you know, ultimately the problems we had in terms of the ownership at Charlton at the time for me were, were the major factors in why we were sustaining so many injuries. I mean, the, the manager would eulogise about Bielsa's Leeds United and, 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 you know, why aren't we as fit as Leeds United? Why aren't we running around as, as much as Leeds United? And, and, you know, and of course they were producing stats that year in the championship that were incredible. Uh, and, and, you know, but of course Leeds United have built towards that. They were recruiting uh, players that were specifically recruited to be able to withstand those demands. And you're seeing that more and more now with recruitment, that, that a lot of it's now being data driven, you know, uh, and, and looking at the numbers. And so, you know, and, 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 and let, let's be frank, those players at Leeds United would cost you a good, num- good few million in the transfer market. Charlton Athletic were not shopping in that supermarket, I'm, I'm afraid to say. And, and, and so we just, we just weren't able to, to bring players with, with that history of robustness and playing at the top, top level in if if we if we could we would have done but but we couldn't because we were we were limited by by our budget and resources so we could only work with what we could work with and and you know and and so with that comes an element that we then have to modify a little bit of how we train and that's difficult for a manager because a manager wants to train a certain way he's got his belief of how he wants to play and how he wants to set his team up of course but of course you've not got the you've not got the players that can withstand that certainly not to start with you know and and but as you'll see you know, when players have been in the program for a, a longer period of time and you're seeing that particularly with one particular player at the moment I think with Charles is that actually in this second season you, you, you're getting a much better player now because he's now starting to adapt to the to the to the demands that are being placed on him by the by the manager and by by football itself you know it's it's very tough for players to to go you know, every every week, midweek games. It's a you know, forty six games a season in the championship is, is a tough one, and, and and League One and two. It's a tough gig. It really is. You know, c- you know, coupled with the, the the cup games as well. You know, it, it places huge demands on these players. And 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 again, unfortunately, they're not machines. We wish they were. Um, at times, you know, they will break down if you keep racing them around the racetrack. You know, when they're all not blessed with say. You know, Ferrari engines. It, 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 something has to. Something has to give. And uh, and, and the, the problem we've also got then is once you start picking up two or three injuries, you're then using players in into the matchday squad who perhaps haven't been exposed to to, to, to matchday numbers. And and even though you'd like to think that they should be, you know, playing for the reserves or playing for the 23s or whatever, it, it, it's not the same. And, and the players will tell you that it's not the same as as, as matchday in the first team. And so then those players get thrown into a, a, an environment that they're not used to, and they all break down, and and, and then you're in then you're in trouble, and that's where it can can get problematic. But again, you'll see up and down the country these issues affecting clubs at the at the highest level. It wasn't just Charlton, unfortunately, because of everything that was going on with the club behind the scenes. You know, perhaps you know ours were being brought to the media attention a little bit more. But yeah, I'd, I'd be lying if it said that it wasn't a tough time. Of course it was. I think as well, uh, from what it's clear from what you've just said there, is that the players get lost in that a little bit because there's so much focus on the the collective. The individual gets lost a little bit because the manager wants these players fit. The manager wants to get the most out of his collective. 
your role is to make sure that he's got those those bodies in so that the collective to be as good as it possibly can be, that you're all abiding by the same thing and going through these processes as, you, as you've been saying. But the 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 individual in in that moment when there's so many players injured and there's a, a kind of a, a focus on just ensuring that there's 11 bodies out there, that the individual is being, being forgotten about a little bit. There's, there's a lot less time to sort of think about their needs and think about how they're feeling. I imagine in that, in that situation, sure. it's, we, yeah. I like them working in for, to being on a treadmill and, and, and the treadmill never stops. And, and, and there's time where you just jog along on it nicely and everything's quite nice and calm. But there's other times where, you know, the, the, the belt's going so fast that you're literally hanging off the, hanging off the back of the machine. And, and that's where we were at the time. We were struggling. You know, we didn't have, we weren't blessed with huge numbers of staff because again, of the, of, of the resources, you know, um, staff were being cut right, left and centre. I, I was losing staff all over the place within the department, both on the medical side and, and, and the sports science side. And, and, and it was so frustrating to, to see this. And, and, you know, and posts were being frozen. We couldn't do any recruitment. Uh, you know, we were losing, you know, medical, uh, medical personnel in the academy. So we were having to then deal with the academy injuries. Uh, and it was, a, it was a really, really tough time. But it's good to see that, you know, under the new ownership now that, that they're placing importance in, in, in getting the right staff in so that they've already got an, another physio working with the first team. They've brought in a, an S&C coach, which I was crying out for for, for, for 18 months. Um, so, you know, these positions are now being brought in by the new owner, which is great to see because that will certainly stand, you know, the players and, and, and the club in, in better stead when it comes to dealing with you know, injuries and, and, and helping to get them back as quick and, and safely as possible. That's interesting. And it's good to hear as well that it wasn't a case of that um, individual, that too much was being demanded of anyone. It was, it's, it's really just a, an unfortunate circumstance where everyone's hands were tied, where you weren't able to do what you wanted to do because you didn't have enough resources, where the, the, the players that were available couldn't necessarily do what was asked of them because of the nature, like you said, players arriving with previous injury records or the fact that they hadn't had the time to go through the, the like a couple of years of doing the same routines and things like that. Um, so I think it, it's nice to hear that, that in that situation wasn't necessarily the case that people were being worked too hard and their mental health was being ignored. It was just a very unfortunate set of circumstances that produced this scenario where a lot of players got injured. It was exactly that. And it was no one person's fault I don't believe it, you know it's not the management's fault it, it's not the medical team's fault it's not the players fault you know we were thrown into a situation at the club you know a real unstable environment and, and I think you know everybody throughout the club did a magnificent job you know you know in, in achieving what was achieved and, and keeping the club where it was and, and I say it looks like it's in, in, in good hands now with, with the new owner and that's really pleased you know, really pleasing to, to see that. And, you know, the investments being made, uh, you know, I hear they've got some, some great new medical facilities now in the, um, you know, in, in, in the club. Uh, you know, they brought in a, a cryo chamber. You know, I'd have loved to have had some of these uh, facilities at my disposal. And, and, but of course, you know, as they say, hands were tied. We could only do what we could do, uh, right from the manager all the way, all the way down. And, um, but listen, hopefully that, that the times are changing now and, uh, and that'll be better for, for the club going forward. Something else I just wanted to touch on briefly uh, before we wrap up was that obviously for 
anyone in any medical profession the over the uh the past 12 months has been a bit stressful um i just wanted to sort of think back right to uh the start of football resuming so june july time and maybe the few the few months before that um just first of all how hard was it to ensure that the players were maintaining fitness were still switched like those who were going through a recovery process were still going through that process how hard was it to not only just to like from a practical point of view but from a, a motivational and a psychological point of view to make sure that they were they were okay they, they were switched on to things and um once you got back into back into having them on the training ground and and being hands-on with them um just how difficult were the barriers that are in your way and the challenges were to, to how you would do things normally to overcome yeah, I mean, it, it was a really, really tough time. And I think for us as medical professionals, that the hardest thing was that we didn't really know the beast that we were, that we were dealing with. You know, new information was coming out all the time. We were being led as, as best we could uh, by the governing body, the EFL, uh, you know, and the doctors working groups that, that were working with, with, with the government on, on this. And, and so we would often find ourselves in the situation where one day we'd be telling the players one thing, uh, and then literally the next day we might be telling them another thing and, and, and the players are thinking, God, you guys don't know what you're doing. And it's like, well, actually, you know, <laughs> things are changing behind the scenes rapidly. And, and, and so, yeah, we were getting quite a lot of stick in those early days because, you say, because things were, 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 were right, you're going to be in on this day. Oh, no, you're not going to be in. You're going to be, oh, no, hang on, you're not going to be doing this. So we had to be really, really flexible. But I actually think we, 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 we managed you know things really really well at, at the club and i have to give uh kudos to to, to kishan palmer and, and to tony kiahane the three of us spent many a late night up you know writing the the, the covid policies for the club uh and and kishan put all that together for us uh and i think they've really been a robust set of of guidelines to the, to the extent that you know we haven't had a, a major outbreak uh, of COVID at the club. We had a few isolated cases, but of course, you know, every club was having that, but there was no instance where, you know, there was an outbreak within the club or at the training ground. And so we managed to maintain that secure environment all the way through. Uh, and when we did eventually get back to training, you know, that was that was maintained and we, we, we stuck by the policies, you know, and again, the players found that tough, you know, and at times they were thinking, well, what, you know, why are you being so strict? And uh, but 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 we we managed that and, and and it was a you know I think it was a good team effort to do that and and it allowed us to you know to obviously complete the season last season and it's allowed us you know Charlton haven't had any games postponed this season because of COVID so you know I think that's real, real credit to Kishan Tony uh, you know and the, and the operations team that, that have been behind that you know as for that period where the the players were were off uh, and everything was being done remotely it was it was it was it was a tough we. We, we managed to, 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 to get equipment and kit out to them, you know, at the very last minute. And, and again, have to um, um, be thankful to, to Wayne, the kit man, because he spent the whole day, you know, driving exercise bikes around, the, around everybody uh, to get gear out to them, dumbbells. I mean, our gym, our gym was raided. We, you know, we had nothing in there. Everything had gone out to the players. I think, thankfully, we've managed to reclaim most of it back. But uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a really interesting time because... When we work in football, we always know what we're going to be working towards, whether that be towards whether you're working towards a game, a final, a cup final, or whether you're working towards pre-season. You know, whenever we've got that off-season period, we always know when the first day of pre-season is going to be. 
and so we can work backwards at, at, at doing that. But um, but what we what we didn't know, of course, with this is is how long were we going to be off for? Mm. It, it was a complete unknown, and and this threw us a little bit. But but Josh Hornby, who looks after the physical preparation of our players, uh, he did a fantastic job, and 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 he was he was communicating with the players every day. We were able to keep track of their activity levels using apps uh, because, of course, we couldn't have the GPS uh, out to them. But we were able to use all you know well-known apps to, to keep a, a track of their physical activity. And we just had a constant cycle of kind of building up for three weeks and then coming down for a week and then building up again and coming down so that we knew that if any stage we were to be thrown straight back in, that the guys would be physically prepared. But then, but then again, you know, last season, again, on the mental health side of things you know it was such a long season for those boys and and you know we had to factor that into it as well we couldn't just keep asking them to keep going and going and going and going when at this stage we didn't know when the end was going to be which is why we sort of factored those sort of one week down weeks into it to say look come off it this week you know rest up a little bit and then we go again because we just didn't know how long we were going to be in this situation for and and actually when we did come back and we played that first game. Um, I thought we were physically looked looked in a, in a good position. And in fact, I think you know we won our first two games. You know when when the restart happened, and, and uh, you know we were in a perilous position. Of course, I thought we we, we physically looked in a, in a really good place when we when we restarted. And again, that's good credit to, to Josh Hornby and uh, and the sports science guys for for that. Yeah, I think if I'm going to put myself into a footballer's boots, not my problem in that period before the restart would be the fact that I don't know what I'm working towards. That would, that would be my, my challenge in terms of getting motivation and not, not knowing you know, what is the value of me doing this. Is it just, I'm just going to have to keep doing this repetitive cycle um, until, until whenever it restarts and I can get going again. So I think what you said there, if, it's quite a simple thing, but having those little breaks to sort of ease off and then get going again, I think that probably is a good example of something that would help. And I think obviously you, you've said there that everyone was good good shape physically when he came back. So I think that is probably shows that it paid off. Um and obviously paid off hopefully mentally as well. Uh, but like I said, I, I yeah, I'd find it really challenging to motivate myself in that situation. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, COVID's been tough for 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 everybody, you know, in all areas of society. Um, you know, and a lot of people will will look from the outside and say that professional footballers have had it easy. They've been able to continue with their work for the most part. But but it but it's not that simple. Uh, you know, you've got players living on their own often at professional football clubs because, you know, their family is based in, in, a, in a town miles away. So, you know, they're going home to empty houses, you know, after the training day. Uh, and, it, and it's been very tough. You know, footballers are creatures of habit. You know, they, they like to have their routines, you know, and, and, and COVID's thrown a lot of routines up in the air for everybody. But, you know, say in, in professional sport, you know, routine plays such an important part of it. And, and, and when those routines are broken, it can have effect on you that you don't realise. And, and you know, and I think, and even now, I think, you know, playing in stadiums with, with, with no fans, I think you're seeing this season, you know, what a strange season it is, you know, results-wise up and down the league, you know, because, you know, it's hard for perhaps the players to, to, to build themselves up for each and every game when it just feels like it, must just feel like a training game at times or a training environment because there's not that 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 added pressure and that ad, that added sort of atmosphere that the, the, the crowd naturally gives you. So it's it's a, it's been a really strange period and uh, 
you know, we're lucky as, a, as, as an industry that we've been able to carry on for the most part. But, it, but that's not to say that it's not been tough for, for, for everybody concerned and for the players in particular. It, it has been it's been a tough period. Would you say then that as an industry, you've probably learned quite a lot about mental health, mental well-being of, of footballers and the psychological implications that, uh, that footballers um, live off and stuff and those sort of things? Yeah, I, I think so. And, 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 and it's probably, you know, it's probably fast tracked a little bit the, the conversations that we're having. Yes, there was talk about, uh, you know, mental health before the COVID pandemic, but I think it's actually brought things much more, you know, into the in, into the spotlight a little bit. And 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 that, again, that's I think a good thing, uh, you know. And I think that's where we can we can we can learn from it, and, and and we can benefit going forward as to how we look after, you know, as you say, not just the players, but 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 all members of the of, of the team, you know, right the way through the through the club and support them, you know, when times are a little bit tough. That we can we can lend support to each other and, and as I say I think the most important thing at any club is is that you know you are one team all the way from you know your security guards to your chefs to your cleaning staff to your players and right up to to, to your management and chief executive you know you're one team one club and and everybody has to pull together to to, to for for any team to to be successful that's the ingredients for you know for any successful team in any industry but particularly I think in professional sport. It's interesting because I agree with you that it, the COVID crisis has accelerated. There's a discussion about mental health, whereas to begin with, I was quite concerned that it would go the other way, that mental health would be completely ignored or at least sort of substituted for a, for a period of time while the focus would be more on, on practical things and more on you know, forcing football to come back and making sure that you know football was as good as it could be and that a discussion about mental health and football would be sort of sidestepped. Um, but yeah, I found that it has that what you said has happened that it has been accelerated and that people have been more willing to talk about things uh, and more open to discussions about this subject, which is great. Obviously, it's come about in a <laughs> in a way that no one wanted it to come about. But I can, I'm just I'm from from someone that's very passionate about this subject. I'm just relieved that it hasn't been sidestepped throughout this this period of time, and it has been still considered important. Uh, the mental well-being of the players and the staff is it, still considered to be a very important thing if not considered just more importantly so just to wrap up what more do you think football could do to support the uh, the mental health and well-being of all those that are involved in the game well i say i think that some of the biggest changes are, are say happening in, in in the academy and i think for me what we now could do is seeing is some of the good work that's being done in the academy at this level is trying to then roll that out in, in into the first teams uh, and as i say i think it's really important that we we look outside of football. Football often exists in its very own bubble. Um, I think you're seeing that at the very top level. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll see Gareth Southgate often go and uh, liaise with his sort of counterpart, Eddie Jones, in rugby, or you'll see him you know, go and spend a, a day with one of the Formula One teams or the, or the, or the British cycling teams. You know, High-performance uh, setups so that they can learn and share information. Uh, and, and down at the academy level, there's a lot of sharing of information and, and, and good programs going on. But I think at the first team, it, it, it sometimes, you know, first teams are still kept in their little bubbles a little bit. And so I think it would be really good for, you know, for, for, for teams to, to open themselves out a little bit, to go and share information with others, uh, to use some of the modelling that's been, been rolled out in the academies to bring, you know, people into the club to talk to the players at first team level, like they do in the academies. Uh, from outside of sport, you know, from, from different walks of life to actually engage uh, 
with the players and sort of open up their minds to, to see that actually there's others out there there's, or there's, there's things out there beyond football that, 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 are, that, that are out there. And I think it's really important you know, message. And, uh, you know, for me, that's definitely something that could be, could be improved, you know, going forward. I was speaking to this with someone the other week um, about the like clubs opening themselves up, uh, sharing ideas uh, specifically about how they go about managing the mental health needs of the people that work at the club. Um, and the kind of the, the general sort of conversation I had was the fact that in foot, football's very partisan and especially at first team level, if someone's doing something right, they will probably want to keep that to themselves as much as they possibly can. But I think in this area, yeah. it, 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 that, that can't be the attitude. One, pe- people that are doing things right have got to share it. And two, people doing things wrong have also got to share it themselves and say, look, this, is, this, we're, this isn't working for us. What can we do? Can you help us? I think that in, in this area, yeah. at the very least, that partisan ap- attitude has to be dropped. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as, as you know, medical practitioners, we, we're quite good at sharing you know, on, on the medical side of things, be that in journals or through, you know, podcasts like this or, you know, case studies that we, that we often do. And we, we have regular meetings as, 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 as medical departments in football. But, um, but yeah, certainly, at the, you know, other areas of the backroom staff, I think, yeah, more, more openness to, 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 to share and divulge information, I think would be a, a great start. Absolutely. Right, Alistair, thank you so much for giving your time. It was a really interesting conversation. Really glad I could have you on. Uh, and keep well. Thank you. Thanks, Carl. Much appreciate it. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, mate. The importance of the mental well-being of those who play the game is so regularly downplayed that it is of no surprise that the mental well-being of those who are part of the profession but don't step out onto the pitch each week isn't a massive consideration. I think Alistair has really got the point across that his role, though rewarding, is a tough one deserving of more understanding from both those inside the game and outside of it. So too is he shown the need to treat players as human beings, as individuals, and consider their mental well-being throughout the recovery process. Every club, every fan of every club, wants to see their key men return from injury as soon as possible. But we do need to remember that, even though they are professional athletes, their body is a contract of their mind, as much as it is physical conditioning. Next week, well, next week, is quite an important one for me, not necessarily a big name, not necessarily someone who has spoken publicly about mental health before, not necessarily someone who is easy to guess, but someone who has had a particularly significant impact on me. I'm keeping that one quiet, but it is absolutely fantastic and quite an emotional conversation that I can't wait for people to hear. In the meantime, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at WorldBallingPod. Follow me at K underscore Andrews Photos. Keep well, keep safe and keep talking about mental health.